did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson with New Radio Media, and we'll spend the next hour talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. If you'd like to call the show, 844-999-9249, 844-999-9249. You can email us at letstalktorah at gmail.com. So before we even get started, for those who live in the Detroit, Michigan area, school has started, which means my vacation is over. But uh, back into class, wonderful class, 25 students. Um, We started yesterday. The uh, public schools in my neighborhood actually started on Tuesday. And it's really beautiful. They come in and they get their seats and they're overloaded with their briefcases and their stuff and they're waiting to get their cubbies and where to put their things and they, they're clueless. It takes me two or three days, actually. Today was day two, to settle them in. Yesterday was sort of unpacking and do you have your stuff and what do you have and what are you missing? And because the parents a lot of times figure that just because I sent a list Uh, Before the school year, I don't really mean that I need all that stuff. So they find out pretty quickly I do need it. This year's class was actually very good. They had most of the stuff by today, all their stuff, and pencils and crayons and and, and markers and glue and and three-ring binders and homework folders and the different books. It's, It's fantastic. And they got their cubbies. I don't even leave briefcases near their desks. My floor, I train them stays perfectly clean. I am a very neat, clean person in my classroom. Don't ask my wife, but at least in my classroom, the floor is spotless. Like the janitor comes in and the cleaning crew comes in, and sometimes they don't sweep because they say there's no papers or stuff on the floor, but they know I keep a neat classroom, and I even train them. I tell the boys, I say, if there's like tissues on the floor, paper, and I ask you to clean it up, don't tell me it's not mine because I don't really care whose it is. I just want it clean. And they really learn to, to keep a neat, clean environment. It just it helps the teaching. It helps the studying. It helps the learning. So I am happy to be back in class. Um, I know the mothers out there are very happy that their children are back in class. So it's good to be back in school and... Uh, Maybe we'll get into some uh, school stuff as we move along. We have a packed show today. Two guests will be calling in. Um, we're going to talk about the first fruits that are brought up to the temple called Bikurim. We're going to talk in our next segment about an organization called Kavod, spelled K-A-V-O-D, with uh, the co-founders of that organization. Um, you can look it up online, what they do. Wonderful organization. Great timing before the holidays. We talk about charity. At this time of year, a lot of people feel, and for good reason, to give extra charity um, right before the high holidays. So we'll talk about this organization called Kavod, which in Hebrew means honor, and it would have been a great word of the week 
except uh, that letter is on next week's poster. So we don't do posters out of order. So we're going to talk to them. We've got our trending news. Our, we're going to go back to that segment of You've Got to Be Kidding Me. That's always fun. Uh, Rabbi Jonas and Goldson from Ethical Imperatives will be here towards the end of the show, as always, with his under-two-minute um, blurb on uh, trending news, local uh, happenings, and certainly a, a interesting holiday or Torah thought. Okay. You know, it's Labor Day. That's why for a lot of you, especially on the East Coast, you haven't started school yet. A lot of schools start um, after Labor Day, and the, it seems the reason always was that um, they didn't have air conditioning in their classrooms. And I had some air conditioning issues in my classroom the first day or two. When it's hot, you can't teach. So they didn't have air conditioning in all those old school buildings. So they started after Labor Day. Usually it's not so hot. And the truth is the weather should cool down by next week. Um, I'm not sure if that's true in any public school anywhere nowadays. You don't have air conditioning. The kids aren't going to be there. They can't function. So maybe that's why Michigan actually is a week earlier. and We actually start before Labor Day, get into school. As soon as everybody's up and ready to learn and study, vacation. I'm not sure why that's a good idea. But in any case... I just had a, a, a quick thought. Somebody for sure talks about this. Um, ben, you ever think about this? Isn't Labor Day a, a socialist holiday? Am I missing something? Well, you could look at it like that, that it is a socialist holiday. I, I don't know that it really is, but uh, I do see... Do you see how one can come to that conclusion? So I have a great idea. Okay. This is a, I'm sure no one ever thought of this before. Um, it's Labor Day and you're on vacation. But labor means work. It's the beginning of the school year. I don't care, public schools, private schools, wherever your kids go, kids went, grandchildren. If you're anyways not working and you're not doing your barbecue till 6.30 in the afternoon, why not go volunteer a lot of schools getting things set up beginning of the year can always use some extra labor. So I propose this year on Labor Day, if you want to take the vacation and you don't want it to be a socialist holiday, why don't you go help out at some charity, school, organization? I'm sure they could all use your help. Oh, yeah, and one more thing. You know, it's, we're getting into the holidays. We're going to talk about fruit. Um, I saw something in trending news. Um, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to be disappointed or not. The Red Delicious Apple, that's, that, that's the most gorgeous apple. It just looks beautiful. It's bright red. It has a beautiful shape, unlike the Gala, or Gala, how you pronounce it, which looks kind of ugly but tastes much better. Yes. So um, they just had, I don't know if it was a survey, the Red Delicious has fallen out of the top spot. Yes. And actually, for those in Michigan who like Honeycrisp, the Honeycrisp is actually moving up, but it's more expensive. Yeah. So I take the kids, the apple picking and stuff, so there's like a separate area. If you want Honeycrisp, you have a different bag, different area, different prices. Um, so, it, you know, with the holidays, everybody knows on Rosh Hashanah, we dip the apple in the honey. Hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah, well, there's a famous song. I knew it from we last year. All, oh, you see, you listen to yourself. Everybody has this saying, dip the apple in the yeah. honey. Everybody knows that song, at yeah. least 
my children from kindergarten and they make these honey placemats. We'll hopefully later in the show, we'll have some time to get into some of the different, we talked last week, some chauffeur. This week, we're going to talk about some of the uh, special fruits, maybe vegetables that are eaten for special signs. And next week, I'm actually set up because since it's the holidays, people like to eat a lot. So um, I have a new contact on LinkedIn. He's one of these health guys. So we're going to talk to him next week to help out all of us that are challenged by all the heavy, fatty, oily, delicious food on Rosh Hashanah. Okay, so let's get into our topic. So first thing I wanted to talk about today, we're going to talk about a special command called in Hebrew, Bikurim. Bikurim is the first fruit, which means that the farmer, only in the land of Israel, will take his first fruit, his, however the amount, whatever it is, not a, it's not a humongous amount, um, it's his first fruit of what's called the seven species. That's wheat, interesting, it's called a fruit, wheat, barley, um, grapes, um, olives, pomegranates, dates, and figs, seven. I win the prize. When those fruits grow, so the first ones that are ripening, um, they're going to tie some type of string, some say red string, and they're going to put it aside or they'll, they'll have it earmarked for this process called Bikurim. Once everything actually up and ripens, so each area in the land of Israel knew when their fruits were ripened. So you had a command to go up to the temple with this fruit. Um, you didn't bring them as a sacrifice. You actually can't put fruit on the altar, on the what's called the Mizbeach, where they burned all the sacrifices. It would actually be a gift, and the gift would go to the priest. There were many thousands, but those fruits were brought in as a gift to them, and its basic purpose, which we've talked about in the past, was a way to show gratitude. In other words, a farmer has been working for many, many months. He's, I mean, it's a, it's a long season. Not like most of us that we work at our job. We get a weekly paycheck, a, a monthly paycheck. A, I guess uh, some people even a quarterly paycheck. That's not how farmers work. For the farmer, you get paid when you have a finished product. So you start with your fields. You probably had to fertilize it and plow it and hoe and and plant and and water and uh, keep pruning and checking and taking care of it. It's a many-month process and irrigation and weeding, all the different things, whether you want to go an old-time farmer or a modern farmer, it doesn't matter. The growing process takes time. And you watch it grow and you protect it and you, and you uh, I guess, any other preparations have to be done and finally you're going to start cutting it down. Um, some will be ready to be put into the soil immediately, more on the, if they're like fruits, the wines and olives will go to their presses. The wheat and, and barley and those grains, of course, they have, we got to start winnowing and threshing and, and drawing out in the fields till we get it into our silos. It's a long process. So anyone who's ever made anything, you know, I, I have friends with books. I actually was speaking to a person who deals in old books. You know, there, there's something about a first edition. I had a friend out there. I got nods from Ben. If pe people who write books, I'm sure musicians the same nowadays, it's online, maybe it's not the same, but you write a book, so the author, when it's in the printing press, they actually take that first copy off the press, 
to give to the author. There's something to be said for the first one. This is what I worked for. So the farm has been working. You would imagine the first fruit, the first kernels he's going to bring into his wife, his kids. Again, it's the end of the summer. Many people like to have gardens. They have tomatoes and, and cucumbers or, or melons or eggplant or zucchini, those things that grow pretty easy in, uh, in backyard uh, vegetable gardens. And it's like a big deal. Who wants to eat from the first ripe tomato? It's a big deal. So you would imagine that a farmer will go home, go into his house, and say, who wants to have the first grape, the first date, the first pomegranate? It should be a big deal. So the Torah says, no, you want to teach gratitude. Gratitude says the first one is for God. The first one I bring up to the temple. Now, again, the Torah commands it, so you didn't have to imagine it yourself. But that's what's being accomplished. So all these people would get their baskets of fruit. They could go up as individuals. That's certainly okay. But it was much nicer to make a parade. So all of a sudden, you have thousands of people at different times from different areas in the land of Israel marching up to the temple. And as they got close to the temple, very interesting rules. When you got to the, to the temple mount, you actually had to carry the basket yourself. You could be a fantastically wealthy farmer. You could be a king. You could be, you could have a thousand servants. They carry your briefcase. I keep spilling water here. They carry your briefcase. They don't, they don't let you do anything. They roll out a red carpet when you walk down the street. But for your first fruit, what we call Bikurim, you must go ahead and carry it by yourself. On your shoulder, in your hands, you must go ahead and carry it. It says even the king, there was a famous king called Agrippus, very wealthy, very powerful. He carried it on his own shoulder. That was part of the process. So when the farmers are bringing their fruit into the temple, the, the priests, the Levites that are working in the temple would actually go out to greet them. The larger the crowd coming, the larger the crowd that went out to greet. Not only that, um, we talked about it a little bit last week. The Torah is very, very concerned that workers put in um, an honest day's labor. So if you're working, you can't interrupt yourself because somebody comes to say, hello, you're being paid for that time. But there was actually a special rule that when the parades of people bringing their first fruit were walking into the temple, walking through the streets of Jerusalem, the, the day laborers, the, even those people, that are hired and their time is being paid for, had to actually stand up, I guess go out to the front of the store. I don't know if they had to wave, but they had to greet all the people. They had a special greeting, uh, people of so-and-so, welcome to Jerusalem. It was all set up. They were, it was part of the, I guess you call it pomp and ceremony, but it was to beautify this fantastic command, which, by the way, is all teaching gratitude. So continuing in the gratitude um, process, so you enter the temple, you have your basket of, of whatever fruits you've brought, and you could bring extra stuff, it doesn't matter, and there'd be sacrifices, and there'd be lines of people waiting. You had to actually read part of this week's Torah portion, which happens to be, what won't get too complicated, but in the Haggadah on Passover, there's four verses that we say. And we expound on those four verses. It talks about going down to Egypt is verse 1. 
then we're slaves in Egypt is verse 2 and then we um, and then the uh, okay we go down to Egypt we become slaves is 2 I'm sorry then the plagues is 3 and we leave Egypt those are actually the verses that we use to show gratitude and as part of being the Jewish people we want to go ahead and thank God show gratitude for everything that he's given to us and has done for us and continues to do for us. So they, we go back to the beginning. We go back to recognize what happened when we first entered the land of Israel, when we left Egypt, we were slaves, all that stuff as the original gratitude, and now we're in the land of Israel, and now we have these fruits, and now we're continuing in this level of gratitude. As something just hit my head, I did a, a very interesting, um, I guess, a project. I love these projects. Ben, you know Snapfish? Even though they don't advertise yet, no. Snapfish. Snapfish. It's one of these um, um, online, um, um, like picture things. You can send like them. Snapchat, but it's no, 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 no. You you take all your pictures. You have your two thousand pixels on okay. your phone. You send them to this Snapfish, and you can create postcards. Oh, um, you you collages. Um, books. So we actually went ahead and we made from the whole year's pictures, we took about 100 pictures from the whole year uh, of what happened with my wife, myself, our family, and it's just a great way uh, to have gratitude to say, wow, look at all the fantastic things that happened this year. It's really fantastic. I'm looking at it right now. See how it works. It's really a great program. But I see we're getting close to the break. So uh, when we come back from the break, I'm going to be speaking with Amy and John Pregelman. They are the co-founders of Kavod. So you're listening to Let's Talk Torah with Rabbi Tzvi on New Radio Media. And hold on, we'll be right back with those special guests and we'll talk about Kavod. Maple Lane Golf Club is a 54-hole golfing treasure located in the heart of Sterling Heights. Maple Lane Golf Club offers immaculate greens, a top-flight pro shop, and inexpensive green fees. For convenience, book your tee time online at maplelanegolf.com. Come out and enjoy a great golf experience. Try our Nine and Dine special, nine holes of golf, and enjoy food and refreshments in the Clubhouse Bistro. That's Maple Lane Golf Club in Sterling Heights. Check us out at maplelanegolf.com. Advertising your business these days can be challenging. Traditional radio and TV ads are expensive and, frankly, a bit of a crapshoot. Not to mention, the audience for over-the-air material is shrinking as more and more of us demand to see and hear what we want, when we want. Advertising on new radio media is a solution. With our live streaming programs that are also available on demand, your message is always ready when your customers are ready to watch and listen, all for a fraction of what you'd likely have been paying for other ads. NewRadioMedia.com. Call Buzz Van Houten at 248 248- 939-9999 for more information. Hey you guys, it's Raphael of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Guess what? The only thing we can get down here in the sewer is Geektainment Weekly on new radio media. Turtle power! Detroit. It's the home of some of the world's most talented artists. It's where techno and Motown were born. It's a city where you can experience raw, untamed rock and roll. I'm Ben Rose, and I'm inviting you to join me weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 for the Motor City Juke Joint. I'll have interviews with musicians, info on what's going on around town, and a playlist curated by me just for you. It's all right here 
onionradiomedia.com. be joined by my guests momentarily as soon as Angel tells me they're on. Um, I tell people all the time, I don't know why, for some reason, um, cell phones with speakers or Bluetooth don't seem to work as well for an interview as landlines, even though my own children, I think, are done with the landlines. I'm not sure exactly why that happens, but we are working on it as it continues to call. So, while we're talking, oh, I see him talking to somebody, so we should be getting close. And I'm not sure. So Angel's still working. Angel will give me this symbol when we're good. Let's talk something. Are we good? Oh, we are good. Excellent. So I am now joined by, I think, both Amy and John Pregelman, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, co-founders of Covode. How are you today? We're good. Thank you. How are you? Excellent. Uh, that must be Amy. That's right. Yes, that's Amy, and John is here also, right? Oh, good. Excellent. Very good. I, I only say that with a voice. Um, my voice, as I guess you can hear, uh, people have called it distinctive. That's to be nice. But actually, whenever I call up um, any anybody you call by phone, your credit cards, your anything, they always say, okay, so I'm speaking with Mrs. So-and-so because I have a high-pitched voice, and I say, yeah, why bother fighting? <laughs> So, um, okay, here we go. So before we start, I know you're both into photography. Before we talk about your organization, could you tell me a little bit about yourselves, and uh, and we'll take it from there. We'll start with Amy. Amy, what do you have to say about yourself? Oh, my goodness. That's just a general statement. That's a general comment. Um, I am born and bred from Memphis, Tennessee, and my background's in nonprofit, um, but my life uh, doing a lot of interesting things, and now I'm running this incredible organization called Covode, which is why we're here to talk to you. Cool. Okay, John, that was quick from your wife. Your turn. <laughs> She's very modest, Rabbi. Um, so I'm originally also from Tennessee, but from Chattanooga. Um, my family was in the steel business for over 100 years which we sold in the 90s, and now I'm in the real estate business and have been also been taking photos of survivors, which is how Amy and I met, and we formed Kavod together in November of 2005. No, 2015. 15, excuse me, 2015, <laughs> right. John, from a lot of experience of being married, um, always say yes on the corrections. It works easier. <laughs> right. <laughs> always works easier. All right, so, so let's take this slowly. So... So photography is a hobby of both of yours? No, just me. And I was actually a professional photographer in New York in my early 20s and got schooling at Parsons School of Design and then went back to the family business and started taking photos in 2012 of survivors. And you were taking uh, photos of survivors because you were cataloging, you were, you were working for somebody. Why were you taking pictures of survivors? So my friend from actually that I grew up with, we were in BBYO together, was the um, executive director of the Illinois Holocaust Museum. 
he called me and asked me to come take some photos of survivors a few years ago. And I went up there not knowing really what to expect and spent three days taking 60 photos of survivors in the museum and became completely enthralled with these amazing people and their outlook on life and attitude. Um, and then he encouraged me to continue doing that because it gives them a real sense of value and their biggest fear is that they'll be forgotten. And by taking their photos and having people from a younger generation interested in them, it really um, gives them a good feeling. And we do it to ensure their legacy and to be sure they won't be forgotten. How do you find them? Well, we, we normally work through um, an organization in, in their city, either Jewish Family Service, Federation, or the Jewish Community Center. And they make the contact for us. All right, good. So now that you've connected with these survivors, so you said you met Amy while you were taking these pictures? Am I getting that part right? Yes. Okay. One of the places. So one of the first survivors I took photos of was from my hometown in Chattanooga, and his son lives in Memphis. And when he saw the photos, he encouraged me to come to Memphis and do the same thing. Um, and Amy was working at the JCC, so I ended up meeting her when, when I came to Memphis. That is a great story. So, Amy, so how did you encourage John to start this Covode organization? Well, what happened was we were in Orlando um, about two months after we met, and he was taking photos of, um, of survivors there. I actually wasn't with him when he went to this particular lady's house where he talks about all the time, and now I understand whenever he would go to anyone's home, typically whenever a lady's home, they'd offer him something to eat. And so this particular lady went into her kitchen. John followed her there and opened up the fridge, and um, there was very little in it, a uh, little milk, some cheese, some bread, very little. And John asked her, you know, why is there nothing in your fridge? Is everything okay? And she said that she had an emergency this month. Her air conditioning had broken down, and so she had to use her grocery budget to cover that expense. And so when he came, when we got back together that afternoon and he shared it with me, we both were just so stunned by this piece of information that it led us on a journey to find more information. And we uh, spent the next few months really doing our due diligence to understand why is it that our Holocaust survivor seniors are even in this position. And that's how we found the fact that out of the 100,000 survivors still living in the United States, 30 to 35 percent, or 30,000 to 35,000 of these vulnerable seniors are living near or at poverty levels. Well, that's amazing. As a side, um, I've told my own stories, um, but I like your story. When we <laughs> went, no, I'll tell you why. Um, there's so many people out there that are hurting, and what normally when somebody says, How are you feeling? And the person wants to start telling you, oh, this is going on and that's going on. Most people say, no, no, you misunderstood. I was trying to be friendly. I didn't really want to know how you're doing. But when we ask people, is everything okay, or we notice that the fridge is empty, 
that leads us to opportunities to do great things. So um, I, I, I love that story that the reason you started the organization really is because John asked somebody, why don't you have food? And now that you have the answer, you went ahead and created the organization. So, so let's talk a little bit about the organization. So once you discovered that there were so many survivors that uh, did not have enough money for food, so you start an organization called Kavod. Kavod means honor. So what is the organization? How does it work? How do you go about doing stuff? Let's talk about that. Sure. And, I, and I'll, I, I agree with you. I think, you know, we both felt quite strongly after doing our due diligence, and that due diligence included, I think it's important to understand, you know, we we talk to people at um, different Jewish organizations, including Federation and um, Facing History and, and Jewish Family Service, and, you know, we asked a lot of questions. And that's where we came to the very real conclusion, and now that we've been doing this almost, almost three years, we, we can very um, confidently say uh, there is a gap in care. There's a lot of organizations out there doing a lot of good work, and there is a gap in aid for emergency situations, such as this lady mentioned. So what we decided um, from the very beginning is it was very important that we treat these individuals as any individual should be treated with dignity and respect, which came, you know, is why we chose the name Kavod. So we felt it was important that no matter what we did, we made the process simple and easy, um, easy for for the for the caseworkers and Jewish Family Service as well as for the survivors. So we connect with Jewish Family Service in every community. We're now in 31 different cities, and they send in a request. It's a one-page piece of paper, gives us the information about the organization and two or three sentences about the situation with the survivor, which is all confidential. Um, and we have a board of seven individuals, all but one, no, all but two are uh, second generation, so that, you know, they are children of survivors. And they approve the request. And the whole process takes about three to five days. Uh, as soon as the request is approved, I go online and purchase gift cards to grocery stores, pharmacies, et cetera, which was also part of the idea behind Kavod of being simple so, and, 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 and treating the survivors in a dignified way. So they, we give aid in the form of a gift card, such as anyone else might have to go into a grocery store, Target, whatever, um, so they're not seen as different or separate. And then the agency gives them directly to the survivor, and that's really the process. It's very good. Uh, I, you know, I was yeah. actually myself wondering how you go about it because I'm involved in the federation here. This is Detroit. We have a very large, successful federation. There's JFS and JVS, all kinds of stuff. And yeah. and I know they always talk about different people not trying to do everything on their own, but mm -hmm. using um, organizations that already exist to, yeah. uh, to put things through. So that really is yeah. fascinating. So well, absolutely. Because, you know, we're not um, social workers. And JFS, Jewish Family Service Nationwide, is an extraordinary organization. They are our partners. We have the utmost respect for Jewish Family Service and the people. Amy, if you could hold that thought, can you guys stay through the break and we'll pick it up in a couple minutes? 
Yes, absolutely. Thank you. Great. So we are enjoying a fascinating conversation with Amy and John Pregelman of Covode. Please stay through the break. We're going to talk about more about the organization, what they do, how you can get involved. So stay through the break. You're listening to Let's Talk to the Rabbi Tzuya on New Radio Media, and we'll be right back. The latest LiftMaster garage door openers and the toughest retractable screens on the market, all by the push of a button. Tarno Doors is celebrating its 50th year anniversary and is the recipient of the 2016 Subcontractor of the Year from the Home Builders Association. Tarno knows doors. Tarno knows doors. Hi, I'm Art, and we're the crew at Tuffy Walled Lake. We've been in Walled Lake for 20 years. And through our knowledgeable staff and customer satisfaction, we've become quite the cornerstone in our community and to our discerning customers statewide. We know how important your vehicle is to you, and we take pride in our impeccable, affordable service. And we're trying to get you back on the road as quickly and safely as we possibly can. Please stop in and see why everybody comes from all over to get their car serviced at 784 North Pontiac Trail in Wald Lake. As a business owner, you're always looking to save money and cut costs where you can. And if you advertise on radio or television, you know it can get pretty pricey. If radio and TV aren't delivering like they promised, and you're looking for a more reasonably priced way to get your message to the masses, got an answer for you. New Radio Media. With live streaming and on-demand programming, your message can be seen throughout the day, and you can worry a little less about cutting those costs. For more information, go to newradiomedia.com or call Buzz Van Houten at 248-939-9999. Detroit. It's the home of some of the world's most talented artists. It's where techno and Motown were born. It's a city where you can experience raw, untamed rock and roll. I'm Ben Rose, and I'm inviting you to join me weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 for the Motor City Juke Joint. I'll have interviews with musicians, info on what's going on around town, and a playlist curated by me just for you. It's all right here on NewRadioMedia.com. And we're back, and we're talking with Amy and John Pregelman. Am I pronouncing your name right? Yes, you are. That's pretty good. I, I said early in the show, I I'm a teacher, so I have students with all kinds of names, and you, you read them, and then you ask them, did I get it right? And they say yes, no, it doesn't matter, whatever it takes. So we're talking with Amy and John about their organization called Covode, um, how their goal is to help senior citizens I'm sorry. Their goal is to help. They are senior citizens. Their goal is to help Holocaust survivors that have emergency situations. They had to pay to fix the air conditioner. Now there's no food on the table. Very simple um, way of of, uh, of getting of for the of for the Holocaust survivors, I guess, to uh, to make the request or family members to make the request. Um, they use the uh, the Jewish family services of different cities around the country. Here's a curious one for you. Um, I mean, I'm in Detroit. I, I'm pretty sure the JFS does stuff with survivors. Are you involved in Detroit? Um, at this time, we are not um, involved with Detroit. Um, I think if there were a need, then the people at uh, your, the agency in Detroit could call us or reach out to us. 
and we would work with them directly. There's really no other easy way to do it. I mean, that's all they have to do. Rabbi, one of the things that we also do, and maybe one reason we, ha we haven't dealt with Detroit and some other cities is there's a lack of awareness of this problem. It is not well known in the Jewish community that there are survivors who have these emergency needs. So even though they may be getting aid from Federation or whomever, claims conference, when these needs come up, survivors often do not like to tell people when they're having problems. So it takes social workers from JFS to be on the ground and see what's going on. We, we are in... We are part of the network of Jewish Family Service across the country. So if, if somebody from Detroit JFS is listening and you have a need, we certainly would be um, happy to help and see what we can do. Oh, I'll tell my friends because I have, again, as a, as a teacher, I'm also an administrator in a school here in town, and we're part of the Federation family. I know all about the ins and outs, and, and these people are really, really good. They come into the schools. They, we had a flood um, four or five years ago. I forgot how many years ago, already. I think four years ago, and JFS got uh, involved immediately. I mean, we, we had, I mean, I don't know what kind of rain you guys get, but this wasn't from rain. This was just the, I, I guess it was the sewers. Everything backed up, and you had feet of water in the basement. Um, so yeah, that's all right. But, uh, so they're good. I, I had a, a curious question for you before we get to important stuff. Um, how is working together on this, uh, organization of COVID, how's that working out? <laughs> well, considering it, it evolved as our relationship did, uh, it's kind of become part of our, of who we are as a couple as well. So, um, we work together. I, I, I think I'm, I'm. We have a clear division of labor, Rabbi. <laughs> we have boundaries. <laughs> so she takes care of the administration and dealing with the JFS offices, and I take care of the photography and the fundraising. Oh, so, okay, look, I'm also a fundraiser, and, um, okay, um, I'm glad you get the part of fundraising. Um, yes, yeah. yeah, she does not really like to do that. I have done it for most of my adult life. That was part of the agreement. And I don't have a, I don't have a, and also we would like to emphasize, in, this, in case it doesn't come up, 100% of all donations to Kavod go to the survivors. That 100%. is amazing. I want, I want you to know I had a different number written down for you because I think a newspaper article wrote down 95%. You should correct it because mm -hmm. 100% Going to a charity, especially when it's uh, when it's when once it starts getting bigger and you're in a lot of cities and you help a lot of people, that is really amazing because yeah. there's, we have, there's a private, we have a private donor that covers our administrative costs so that 100% of everything we receive as a gift goes to the survivors. I'm not sure where that other number came from, but thanks for letting us know. <laughs> yeah, you, I go, uh, when you go into your website, I think it was a newspaper article. So I think they wrote 95%. But I think somewhere else you wrote down on your website 100%. But that's yeah. e even 95%, by the way, is great. But 100% is just a beautiful thing because when people give charities to large organizations, it's like buyer beware. You need to know that not all your charity money is going to actually help what you think you're doing. It's covering overhead. So when there's a low overhead, or in your case, zero, that is really Fantastic. Okay, one more question for you, then we'll talk uh, how we get involved. 
Um, do you have any specific story or case or something that you would consider your greatest success? Oh, wow. That's a great question. Um, I'm sure we both have different ones. What about you, John? Um, we may, it would be hard to pick one, and, of course, we don't know who the survivors are. You know, it's confidential. But I do know that in the second year we got involved with Chicago's Jewish Family Service and gave them a large contribution which allows them to send a gift card, not necessarily for their survivors when they have issues, but on their birthdays. So Chicago has, you know, thousands of survivors. And so they said to us that it would be incredibly meaningful to them to get a gift card on their birthday to be remembered. So we're, I think we gave it to around 800 survivors that year. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember that number. I, I was actually going to say, that's a good one, but Anne, I was going to say during the hurricane season last year when so many people were affected in Florida and Texas, uh, we were able to respond immediately to the agencies in Florida and Texas and give aid to um, the survivors down there. Uh, you know, they lost everything. Some of them, you know, the elect whether it was through electric electricity or, or flooding, as you mentioned, flooding, it's, you know, there are still survivors struggling in Texas and Florida dealing with the aftermath. Even around Passover time, we got a request from someone in Texas who um, lost everything and they needed help with, you know, just things that they could get together for, oh, for state, for Passover. So, you know, to me, it's, Every story is so unique and different, whether, you know, it's the survivor who's taking care of their 103-year-old mother who's also a survivor as well as their disabled son who, you know, and this particular survivor has cancer. You know, I mean, it's, it's incredible uh, what these individuals are faced with. And the one response we get back time and time again from the agencies is the relief that the survivor feels for not only getting the support, but being heard and treated with dignity and respect without having to fill out paperwork and being questioned, that they just got taken care of. Amazing. I love the passion. I love all charity, but certainly charities that are helping people and all the money is being used in a, in a good way, in a private way, in an honorable way. Why it's called COVID is fantastic. Um, okay. I'm going to say, how could someone get involved? But let's be real. We need people to help donate to further um, what COVID is trying to accomplish. How does somebody um, either get involved, send a donation, find out what's happening, or maybe even if they know of a survivor that needs help, how does somebody um, get in contact with you? That's great. So first, um, we have a, a website. Uh, it's www.kavod, K-A-V-O-D, insuringdignity at, uh, dot com. Kavodinsuringdignity.com is our website. On there, there's a donation button that they could do or they can send a donation to the address on the website, which is 600 Riverview Road, Memphis, 38120. So they could do that. They could, um, in relationship to um, if you have a survivor that needs help, then they can also contact us, but we will get them in contact with their JFS. The first step is JFS, uh, and then JFS can get in touch with us. 
Okay, amazing. I appreciate so much you gave a few minutes of your time today to to join the program. Um, hopefully, especially with the high holidays coming up, you'll see more money pouring in. People that need the help will get the help. I appreciate both you, John, Amy. Thank you so much for the good work that you do. Thank, Thank you, Rabbi. We appreciate being being on your show. Okay, be well. And Shana Tova. Okay, happy, healthy New Year. Shana Tova, be well. Excellent. Thank you. Okay, whoa. Great interview. Longer than I thought. Not too much time left. But it just reminded me of so many things that I wanted to talk about. Um, and we're ready for my segment of You Gotta Be Kidding Me. Mm-hmm. Are we ready? I we, think we are ready. You're kidding me. Yeah, you we're gotta ready. Be kidding me. Are you kidding me? I mean, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. You're kidding me. Kidding me. You're kidding me, right? Are you kidding me? This guy, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? <laughs> okay. Kidding you gotta me? be kidding me. <laughs> so here's in this week's trending news, there were a couple of things going on. Um, you gotta be kidding me. So here's the first one. Um, and I won't say that I know what all these things mean, but I probably do. Uh Procter and Gamble this week um is trying to trademark um all those cute three-letter um, phrases that you use whenever you text because you're too lazy to write full sentences, like LOL, or and I'm just reading through the list. I don't really know what these stand for, or WTF, or FML, or N, either NBD, NDB. Those who know, shame on you. And those who don't know, you can hang out with me. But in any case, um, so Procter & Gamble is trying to trademark these. you got to be kidding me. Like, hello, this is like how people communicate. You can't trademark that stuff. All right, that was one. Um, here's one. In uh, Terraboro, if I'm pronouncing the city right, there was a child that was punished because he did not speak to his teacher properly. He called her ma'am. How did the parents find out? The child in his notebook had to write, like, ma'am, like, a couple hundred times. So the parents said, like, uh, what's the problem? So the student said, I, the, I, I called my teacher ma'am. So the parent spoke to the teacher said, we teach our children manners, and they speak to adults properly. Women are ma'am. Men are sir. So uh, you can't punish my child for talking like a person should talk. So that's another you got to be kidding me. Um, uh, here's, uh, here's maybe two more if we can get through these. Um, there was a man arrested, I believe, in Southern California. He had stolen 800 pounds of lemons. Now, lemons are not even expensive, and I'm not sure what he planned on doing with 800 pounds of lemons. Maybe you could go to a fruit store and say, here, would you like 800 pounds of lemons? It just doesn't seem to be the kind of thing that uh, if you're going to steal something, not that I'm suggesting that people should steal things, but if you were going to, you got to find something better than 800 pounds of lemons. Here's another one for you. Um, you know, today politicians, others, people into insulting. We've talked about insults online and insults. So someone actually did a study, and it turns out that the public slander nowadays doesn't compare to the slander they used to do publicly in Rome um, 2,000 years ago. I guess they were nastier. Now we just use, you know, little phrases to make fun of people. They actually call people horrible, terrible things. So uh, I, I guess that one also was up there as, uh, as you got to be kidding me. But uh, as our segment is winding down, 
Hold through the break. We're going to be talking to Rabbi Jonas and Goldson of Ethical Imperatives. When we come back, we still got to get to our word of the day. I got a great story to leave you with. You're listening to Let's Talk to with Rabbi Tzvi on New Radio Media, and we'll be right back. Maple Lane Golf Club is a 54-hole golfing treasure located in the heart of Sterling Heights. Maple Lane Golf Club offers immaculate greens, a top-flight pro shop, and inexpensive green fees. For convenience, book your tee time online at maplelanegolf.com. Come out and enjoy a great golf experience. Try our 9 and Dine special, 9 holes of golf, and enjoy food and refreshments in the Clubhouse Bistro. That's Maple Lane Golf Club in Sterling Heights. Check us out at maplelanegolf.com. At Murray's Park City, we're known for offering customer service you won't get in any chain store or online. But don't take it from me. Just listen to what our customers have to say. The employees at Murray's are knowledgeable, courteous. They make you feel like you're at home. Pick up a can of Seafoam Fuel System Treatment for only $6.99 or a 5-quart container of Mobile One Motor Oil for just $28.95. Murray's Park City and Pontiac Trail at Maple Road in Wald Lake. We've got the parts you need when you need them. A study from Johns Hopkins researchers indicates a high-fat diet may lead to the development of new nerve cells in your brain that influence how much you eat. But it's also been known for decades that the brain continues to form new nerve cells well into adulthood. So for now, it appears the process occurs not only in the parts of your brain associated with memory and a sense of smell, but also in the ones that control your various body functions, including hunger and thirst. One researcher believes that your brain functions this way as part of your body's survival mechanism. When food is abundant, it generates cells that will make you eat more and make you store excess calories as fat for use when food is not readily available. But the problem with humans, particularly those in developed countries, is that food is almost always readily available. So the more you eat, the more fat you store and the greater becomes your appetite. With another Prescription for Your Health, I'm Dr. Jim Bragman. And we're back, and time is flying. We talked about Bikurim, we've talked about that organization of Kavod, but now we always have, as always, we have a Jonas and Goldson of Ethical Imperatives. Jonas, and how are you today? I am very well, Rizvi. How are you? Great. I can't wait. After last week's, I am looking forward to this week. So the clock is ticking. Go for it. Well, in addition to international terrorism, trade wars, global warming, and all the other familiar perils that fill the headlines, now we have a new fear to face. According to an article in National Public Radio this morning, some experts are worried about coloring books. Yes, that's right. There are those who believe that encouraging children to color inside the lines may be crushing their creativity. Don't stay within the lines, they say. Create your own. At first glance, there may be biblical support for this notion. In this week's Torah portion, we read about the prophecied curses that would follow the destruction of the Second Temple in Jerusalem. Among the causes of that destruction, the sages cite the Jewish people's failure to go beyond the letter of the law. In other words... Even though they stayed within the boundaries of the law, that wasn't good enough. But it's more complicated than that. We have to know what the law demands from us before we can start developing our own accurate moral compass. If there are no lines, then everyone is free to define right and wrong any way he chooses. That doesn't make us better people. 
it leaves us at the mercy of the law of the jungle. King Solomon says, do not remove the boundaries of eternity which were set in place by your forefathers. As with almost everything, we have to constantly seek balance between respecting the guidelines of tradition and seeking our own individual style as we walk the path of truth and virtue. Amazing. I love it. Yoinison, have a great Shabbos, and uh, I guess I won't speak to you till after... Am I get, no, I'll speak to you next week before Rosh Hashanah. My calendar's all confused. So I hope we'll speak to you next week, and then I'll wish you a Ksiv Ksimitaiva. Very good. Good job. Yeah, right. have a good job. Be well. Okay. Yeah, he's really very good. I, I like Rabbi Jonas and Goldson of Ethical Imperatives. That's why we keep bringing him back. Okay. So if Tony is ready, we're ready for our letter and word of the week. So we're up to our 10th poster again. It's the letter Yud. The smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet. It's really just a dot or a line. Yes, on the poster it's a little prettier, but technically it's just a little line, a little letter, a yud. By the way, that little letter, the way it's pronounced, is also sounds like the um, one of the ways in other languages you would say Jew. So it's really yid, but yid as you the y becomes a j became Jew. Like when I was in, my great aunt told me in Europe, um, Jacobson is really supposed to be pronounced Yakovson with a yud, like Yakov. It's really Yakovson. It seems either in Polish or Russia, um, there's not a Y letter. There's actually a J letter. So when you came to Ellis Island, you came to America, you wrote your name with a J. Well, J in America is pronounced Jacobson. But in Europe, it was actually a Y-sounding letter. Uh, the numerical value is 10, like the Ten Commandments, many other uh, things about 10. Uh, Yom Kippur, the, the Yod of Yom, right, begins with the, the first word, which means day, the Day of Atonement. Yom Kippur um, happens to be on the 10th. Not happens, but it's on the 10th. And that happens to be my word of the week. The word is Yom. Yom means day. And I think... Um, important to think about, and my next story hopefully will help us with that. Um, you got to make every day count. Certainly now as we get closer to the holidays, it's an important uh, period of time for the Jewish people. We're getting ready to, to uh, reestablish God as king in our minds, and we're going to serve him, and we're going to repent, and we're going to ask for forgiveness. But we, we got to make the most of every day. When I think of the word yom, or you think of that letter yud, you got to think, make the most of every day. So with that, I have the following story. There was a rabbi in Russia by the name of Rabbi Schneer Zalman of Liadi, known to many as the Baal Hatani. He wrote a very famous uh, book, very famous. It's studied by many, many, many thousands, called Tanya, or the Baal Hatani. Anyways, um, he was thrown in jail in Russia, and obviously he was thrown in jail because of his Jewish uh, religion and practicing the religion, and the guards weren't the nicest, weren't the friendliest, and they liked to sort of uh, poke fun at him and bother him and ask what would seem to be an intelligent question, but if you know anything, not very intelligent. I tested this question on my daughter this morning, so uh, she knew the answer right away. Couldn't have been anything special. But the guard says, we're all familiar, that when... Adam, Adam and Eve sin in the Garden of Eden. So God comes looking for Adam and he says, where are you? So the guard says, what, God doesn't know where Adam is? Of course he knows where Adam is. Like, what's his problem? So 
I asked my daughter this question, and she knew right away, of course, the answer is God's just trying to start a conversation. If he's going to just attack, so Adam will melt. So you start a conversation, he's able to talk. However, this rabbi, this Rishner Zalman, had a brilliant answer. He said to the guard, you don't understand the question. Where are you is not a physical question of where are you located. Where are you is what are you doing with your life? Have you done anything today to make yourself a better person, to make the world a better place? What have you done with your life today? And let's forget about over the whole year. We're getting, again, we're getting towards the high holidays. We're getting ready for Hashanah. The question does not have to be, what have I done with my life the whole year? Like I talked about that uh, Snapfish book uh, with uh, Ben earlier. The question is not, what have I done with my whole life this whole year? What have you done today? What are you going to do tomorrow? What have you done to make yourself better, your family better, your relationships better, your relationship between you and God better? What have you done? And there goes the music and another amazing show. Thank you again to all my wonderful sponsors and listeners. You know I couldn't do it without you. Thank you to my wonderful team today, Tony, Kelsey, Ben, Angel. I hope I've left you with some food for thought. Until next week, I'm Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on New Radio Media. And until next, until next week, don't forget to think about it.